Kansas City Real Talk, brought to you by KCRAR. I'm Jennifer Justice. And I'm Jeff Carson. And it's kind of like you got two substitute hosts today since uh, Bobby had a, a family uh, situation. And Alex, I don't know why Alex's not here, but uh, anyway, you get to work with both of us today. Jennifer, it's fun to be with you. Uh, I, I feel like, you know, we see each other at everything anyway. So this hopefully will go real well. Well, when was the last time we actually saw each other, Jeff? I mean, we're seeing each oh, other on the Zooms, right? Virtually. But, yeah, virtually. We've yeah. virtually seen each other. And we got to do the auction last week. Wasn't that fun? Oh, that was awesome. You know what? I'm still a little full of myself over the auction. You know, $56,000. I mean, basically a record for us uh, when you when you factor out the, uh, the raffle portion of it. Um, I'm just, I'm still riding that wave. It's pretty unbelievable. I've heard we're getting nationwide recognition on that because it's, I think, the biggest virtual auction for our pack so far. Well, that's good because it's good that we're virtual then today because my head probably would not fit through the door as you keep telling me these kinds of things. But, <laughs> but no, we, we were really excited about it. I mean, you know, you don't know how it's going to go until you do it. And then, then you kind of get caught up in the whole thing. And, and really, before I go any further with the auction, I have to say thank you to you. I mean, you were a big part of that. I mean, at least you know more than three thousand dollars was raised because of your individual donations for the lake trip, and you know, putting yourself out there with your boat and your family and that kind of thing. So, money doesn't get raised without great volunteers. And, and honestly, when it comes to our pack, you are our champion. So I oh, have to you, I have to give you that shout out. Oh, and, thank uh, you. So. I appreciate that. Yeah, Linda Cohn was the winner, and uh, Tony Conant and they are looking forward to their lake excursion. And for those that follow me on Facebook, I hear a lot of people are living vicariously through me during this time, just cause I try and go to the lake as much as possible. Haven't been on an airplane since February, which that's mm -hmm. normally a pretty big part of my life is travel. Yeah, me so too. we've been going to the lake a lot. And yeah. I was just at the lake with Bobby um, for our Missouri Realtors Board of Directors meeting. Record time under eight minutes. I think the exact time was seven minutes and 40 seconds. President Kester said, no one in the history of Missouri Realtors will probably be able to beat his record now. Literally, we needed to amend some bylaws, I believe, to make things virtual for our September business conference since it is going virtual for Missouri Realtors. But yeah, it was, it was nice to at least be able to see everybody. It was slightly awkward not being able to give hugs and stuff, kind of sad sure. in a little bit of a way, but still nice to have at least be in the room with, you know, my fellow realtors and my realtor family because Jeff knows and, and y'all know how much I love everybody and just miss everybody. So it was well, good. And, and, you know, nobody ever complains about a short meeting. But in that instance, after having been locked up for so long, didn't you want it to go, go a little longer than seven minutes? Yeah, I mean, and just to be able to interact a little more, you know, we had to wear a mask, of course, in the, we were in a large room and spread out amongst each other. Sure. Um, I think there was four or five people to a table. It was at the Lake of the Ozarks, which their restrictions are a little less, I guess, than some places in Missouri. And I know a lot of places in the country, but we couldn't just, you know, you just want to hug your friends. You miss them. And so it was good, like I said, to be able to see each other in person, but just really missing that personal touch that we don't sure. get much right now. So, Well, based on what I see on the news and everything else, I think that bar down at the Ozarks is the place to go. If you want to meet people and hug people and everything else, you got to get in that <laughs> pool bar. I mean, I don't think there's any restrictions at all down there. I'm 
There, there actually still is some restrictions. They still do the social distancing. And in Margaritaville, they had uh, us wearing the mask coming in the lobby, but it was still a good time. And yeah, nobody does ever complain about a short part of the business meeting, <laughs> but you know, it yeah, is what it is. We're just yeah. all getting through this together. Well, good, good. How was the uh, tournament yesterday? It was excellent. So I attended Sam Graves' annual fundraiser. Uh, Sam Graves for Congress, he did that. And our guest, Tony Lichtemeyer, actually was there as well. So Oh, good. Well, you'll have to ask him about that when, when we get him on. Yep. And Derek, let's see, Derek played, Zach played, Greg Coons, uh, and Gary Dirks. Let's see if I said that. They did not do very well. As a matter of fact, I got a really funny video of Zach Brown. He's going to kill me if he hears this. But he went right in the water, and I videoed it. Oh, good deal. <laughs> so what? I was sitting at Sam Gray's um, hole, and I was chatting with him and his staff because I didn't play because I'm really bad. Mine definitely would have gone in the water. But I'm watching Zach, and I'm like, okay, that's them across the way there. So I start videoing Zach, and it goes right in the water. <laughs> We need to get that footage. We can we can use that for something. We'll, he literally we'll, texted we will right roll after. the tape. We'll roll the tape on the next meeting that we have with Zach. And he did. He after, said, after, "You better not record me." Of course <laughs> I did. Of course I did. <laughs> well, and hearing about your your level of golf play, I think you and I should play. I think we oh, should yeah. we should play because I am terrible. It either I goes mean, really well or really bad. Yeah, There's we're gonna no need like we're gonna need people. like a bucket of balls just to get us through nine holes. So at least yep. if you're playing with me. Pretty much, that's how it happens. Yeah, so I, I know I, Bobby normally does a book bit. Jeff, have you read any good books recently? I see the look on your face. Oh, like, uh, you know, and I have to tell you, a lot of people are they always ask me about books, and oh, Jeff, I'm sure you're well read and everything else. I am not. I'm serious. I I guess because of the nature of our work, you know, we deal with drama every day. So when I I have, I, if I can't put it down inside of, inside of less than an hour, I don't, you know, I, I'm a People magazine, I'm a tabloid person, uh, you know, that kind of thing. I, I am the most, I'm the least well-read person. I had to read a small, I don't know, 45 page book. It was for a leadership thing when I was in the uh, leadership at, at uh, KAR. And of course I put it off the last minute, the night before the meeting, I had to go up and read these 50 pages, whatever it was. And I'm upstairs in, in, in the recliner in our, in our master bedroom. And my son comes up and he goes, Hey dad, excited. The second book you've ever read, because I always bring up, um, Watership Down. We had to read it. Uh, my senior year it was a book that we had to do something with. And so Whenever, my wife and kids, they all read. I mean, thank God my wife, you know, taught the kids and, you know, they're, they're really big into books and things like that. But their father is almost an idiot when it comes to that. I mean, I, I watch the worst television out there. I, I'm just, I'm not very schooled. I'm schooled by realtors and the school of hard knocks. So, yep, so you I, get I to handle, you get to well. handle the book part. Yes. Yeah, so I, my favorite, um, probably book that our audience might be interested in was Darren Hardy's Living Your Best Year Ever. And it's like a top-down, get yourself motivated, how you can be better at life kind of a book. And it's even got a workbook you can order to go with it that's like got how you can set your goals and everything. So you know I'm huge on that stuff. And transparency here, I'm not a big reader either, but that's Living good. Your Best Year Ever was the best book I've probably ever read. And Darren Hardy is just all around an inspirational person. But my reading has been charters. So I have been reading 
different constitutional charters for counties and states across the great state of Missouri. And I also read the Johnson <sighs> County Charter because I was appointed to the Clay County Constitutional <laughs> Charter Committee by the judges. So I'm trying to do my due diligence for the future of Clay County because we're operating under a government from the early 1900s. So this has been a lot of my reading for the last week. What are the duties of the different office holders like the treasurer, the auditor, the assessor, the clerk? What are these people actually doing? Recorder of deeds, that's another one. Should these positions remain elected? Should they be appointed, which means hired in the real world? You know, so this has been my reading for the last couple of weeks. Um, I'm trying to do a really good job because I, it's really, really important. You know, it's like could be affecting our county for the next hundred years. So I've been yeah, writing I, a lot see, of I think I read the Nebraska Furniture Mart ad and I think I looked at, <laughs> I think we got an Ikea catalog from their big Didn't sale. Yeah. yeah you, you know, I, I, in the middle of what you were telling me you were looking at, I, I, I actually, I dozed off for a second or two. <laughs> Uh, but then when I came to, I actually almost took the headset off and left. I thought, well, you know, I'm just going to let you run with this. First of all, going back to the book that you read that you know, got you motivated. Okay, Jen, you kind of run way up here. I don't, I mean, talk about getting you motivated. I mean, you're motivated every single day. I mean, what, what in this book, I mean, literally any more motivated, Jen, and you could fly. I'll so I'm not sure. The provisions, this is not necessarily motivational, but something that I thought was interesting and just very thought provoking. So Darren Hardy, before he was married, he had high expectations similar to myself. Like, yeah, you're talking about setting the bar way up here and your hand is way above your head. And yes, I set the bar high and I like to do things well. And that's kind of an expectation, which some people find it really irritating, but Hey, shoot for the stars. You'll land among the moon, right? Like, or shoot for the moon. You'll land among the stars. However you yeah. want to say that. But when Darren Hardy was looking for a significant other, his, his wife, he wrote out nine pages of stuff that he would like to see in this person. Oh, and so wow. after he wrote out nine pages of things that he needed in a wife, he then thought, who do I have to become to attract this person? Powerful, yeah. right? That's a yeah. really, really good premise. Yeah. Who do I have to be? If I want to attract somebody with all of these amazing qualities, nine pages, I don't think I'd write out nine pages on anything. Maybe I did in college at Rockford. I think it was that book report on Watership Down for me. I got to tell you, I go back that senior year. It's been a long time. But so that was just really one of the pieces of the book, obviously, that stuck with me. I read it a while ago. So that was something that stuck with me. And then just the goal setting way he does things and breaking things down by quarter and, you know, the balance of life and different premises. It's just a really good time. So that's, that's what I have for Bobby's book bit. <laughs> well, great job. Like I said, you had no assistance uh, on here from me. So uh, you, you carried that segment all on your own. So kudos <laughs> to you. Your weekly Nebraska Furniture Mart update. Yeah, I was going to say, I can tell you what recliners and what, uh, they've got a great deal on Roku TV going on right now. Any, uh, other than that, if you see any of those, I need one of those actually. What is it? A swivel, like a rocking swivel recliner. So we can uh, yeah. put deer and our turkey out of our windows here. We actually had five turkeys two days ago at my house. That's a lot. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was. You know, it's five funny. Turkey, we... Three deer. You well, know, I live in a subdivision. Bluebird that was really pretty. That wasn't a regular bluebird. I, my father-in-law told me what it was. I don't know book, you know, birds, but. Do you live on land? 20 acres. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
Well, you, you've got 20 more than I want or need. And, uh, you know, I, I sit here in my rocker, recliner, glider, whatever, and I watch the, the, the people that mow my lawn. I mean, I, I don't even get out there to do that. I do have people that mow my lawn, <laughs> Yeah. I, you know I do what? brush hog some of it, but, or my husband. I, I do it sometimes. I brush hog, but mostly my husband brush hogs and takes care of that. But the main manicured part of our lawn, like three acres, we actually do have somebody that professionally manicures that part of it. Brush hog. I'm sure that means something. Is that like another animal that runs across your yard or something? <laughs> brush I mean, hog yeah. means like you have a tractor attachment that goes to the back of your tractor and you can let the grass get pretty tall. Like I think you could probably let the grass get four, six, heck, I don't know. I'm not a real farmer. I just pretend to know what I'm talking about. So you can drag your tractor around with this piece of equipment, which essentially is a really hardy mower, and you can brush hog it, which is a form of mowing, and just knock it down so that it's not so tall. Well, I'm sure that means something. <laughs> I'm kind of like uh, that uh, the lady in uh, uh, Green Acres. I'm kind of like the wife, you know. That, yeah. That's, that's kind of me. You can go out and be on your tractor, and I'm going to be, you know, I guess looking at the Nebraska furniture ad uh, inside my house. I need that so. swivel rocker, Jeff. I need that swivel. All right, rocker. I'm, I'm on it. I am yeah. so on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let me know. All right, and next up is Tony Luchtemeyer. Habitat for Humanity of Kansas City has been a partner of KCRARs for years. You've probably heard about the work they're doing to help provide strength, stability, self-reliance, and shelter for the community. But did you know they also run a secondhand store that benefits their organization? The Habitat for Humanity Restore sells household items from furniture to appliances to building materials like cabinets, doors, windows, and more. All the proceeds from Restore sales support Habitat for Humanity's mission to make sure everyone in the world has a decent place to live. There are three main ways you can support Restore and Habitat for Humanity of Kansas City. Donating, volunteering, and shopping. If you have a client who's remodeling or fixing up their home to sell, suggest they donate any unneeded items to Restore so they can be used to raise money for Habitat. Or, if they're looking for second-hand items, shopping at the Restore not only supports our community, but also supports building affordable housing around the world. So, if you want to learn more about how to donate and volunteer, or where you can shop, you can visit habitat.org slash restores. R-E-S-T-O-R-E-S. -E All right, we'd like to welcome Senator from Missouri, Tony Luchtemeyer, as our guest today. Man, Tony, you have just kicked butt and taken names. You rise to the top in everything that you do, and I thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, all the great conversations I've had with the realtors since I've been in office. You guys have been fantastic to work with in the legislature. I want to dig into something real fun here a little bit first. So yeah, you were a leader at Mizzou and my co-host Jeff Carson <laughs> also has something kind of fun that he kind of shares with you and that was that you were the um, vice president Jeff of the student body. Tell us and Tony I know you were the president uh, at you know, when you were in college, but yeah, you guys share that. Yeah, it's kind of a kind of a student, uh, kind of a college nerd thing. But yeah. We want to dig into some of the stuff that you've done, Tony, and some of the fun stuff, because I know that, you know, you have a lot of responsibilities and you do a lot of amazing things for the state of Missouri as a senator, but we want to hear about some of the fun stuff because 
people don't realize that senators, legislators, you know, you guys are real people too. You like to have fun. I was out on the golf course with you yesterday uh, at Sam Graves Golf Tournament. We had a little fun there. But tell us some of the fun stuff and tell us about your, uh, your student body president days. Yeah, so it's kind of a funny story, actually. When I was running for student government president, that is actually when and how I met my wife. She hates this story. <laughs> but uh, whenever I was running for student body president, um, she was running the opposition campaign against me for a guy who actually later ended up being one of my good friends after I won the election. <laughs> that's and so that's, wow. that's, that, that's how we met, actually. She was, she was trying to beat me in the student body president election at Mizzou uh, whenever I was a, a junior in college. And so that's how we met. Um, I ended up getting elected to that position. It was a great experience just to get to you know, work with different student groups uh, across the campus, um, people with very different, diverse perspectives and backgrounds. You know, I grew up in a small town in southeast Missouri called Farmington. And so when I came to Mizzou, I mean, I was sitting in classrooms that were bigger than my entire high school graduating class. And so that was, that was just a very new experience, you know, being at a large university, uh, having grown up in a small town and, you know, being student body president and getting to mix with a whole bunch of different people and learn a lot of different new and valuable perspectives was just a really great experience. Enjoyed it uh, tremendously. And that was my first kind of, uh, foray into politics. And so I guess that's maybe what gave me the bug in the first place. You know, it's funny that you say that because it was the same situation. I grew up in a small town, Bonner Springs, uh, over here in Kansas. And then I went to Pittsburgh State University and I was pretty quiet, mild-mannered, tried to stay out of everybody's way. I was in a fraternity, um, you know, that, that kind of thing. But then uh, I was the student body treasurer. I was the student government treasurer. And, and it, was a, it was actually a, a employee position. So I was hired by the by the then current president vice president to to play that role and then somebody came to me and asked me to run with him and I said oh, you know that means I have to debate I have to do these things and I was the last person to ever go out and speak in front of people or that kind of thing and and I think it was because of my quiet manner he he came to me he said Jeff if you run with me you will get me elected because I had a I had a bunch of experience I've been on student government for for you know a couple of years and had that experience well Honestly, I, I always say that Pittsburgh and student government saved my life. I was destined to work in a in a small dark cubicle uh, in a in a terribly boring middle management position had I not ever come out of my shell. And student government is what did that. Again, like you said, going around and meeting with different uh, groups and the fraternities, sororities, uh, clubs, uh, those kinds of things, and, and meeting all different kinds of people. Um, I always say, you know, I went to school and I was a shy, kind of a backwards kid, and I came out and I haven't shut up since. <laughs> and I just did Delta Sigma Pi. That's a business fraternity. I wasn't student body president or anything at Rockhurst, but I was the, I did several things for member recruitment with Delta Sigma Pi, but I was the most goal-oriented member. I remember getting several awards for that because I would set goals for us and help us achieve our goals. So that's what I did at Rockhurst besides get a degree in business and finance, economics, all of that stuff that bores uh, Jeff Carson, my co-host here. He, he falls asleep when I start talking about that kind of stuff though. So. But gee, shocker, you were motivating people and setting goals for everything. Yeah, shocker. Uh, that's, <laughs> you're the one that keeps us on our toes around here. But, but Tony... Tony, tell us a little bit about your, your personal life. I know you've got, uh, you're, you're, you talked about your wife, her name's Lucinda, correct? Yep, that's right. Tell, tell me a little bit about Thurman. 
Yeah. So, so Truman, 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 uh, sorry, Truman. Yes, that's right. Every, everybody always asks me, they say you're a Republican lawmaker and yet your dog is named <laughs> after a Democrat president. I did and not, I, I did not put that together. Uh, well, I'm always quick to point out that no, in fact, he's, he's not named after the Democrat president. He's named after the Mizzou mascot, Truman, the tiger. So my uh -huh. wife and I, uh, we're both alums of Mizzou, both for undergraduate and for law school. That's where we both went to law school. And uh, so we we bleed black and gold. We love the university tremendously. Anytime I have an excuse to get back to Columbia for homecoming or to go to a football game, I, you can typically find me there. And so when we got our first dog together, uh, naturally, uh, we named him Truman. He's a golden doodle. Um, if you ever come to the Capitol, one of the distinctions that I have is that I'm the only member of the Senate that brings his dog to the office. And so if you ever come and visit me in the Missouri Capitol, the first person who will likely greet you at the door is gonna be Truman the Golden Doodle. I, oh, I've awesome. met Truman now that you're saying, you're saying this story. I've met him when I've come to your office before. That's awesome. Yep. Tony, you're always very welcoming when we come down to Jefferson City. And uh, it's definitely been a, a different session, different year entirely. We're all learning to adjust to that. So tell us more, Tony. Uh, this was an interesting session. It was an interesting session in uh, a lot of different ways. Uh, first and foremost, of course, was uh, the same reason that life has been interesting for all of us lately, and that's because of COVID-19. We uh, came in to the session expecting to have a relatively normal four-and-a-half-month session starting uh, in the beginning of January and ending in mid-May, and uh, the session ended up getting interrupted for about an eight-week period uh, after COVID hit. Uh, in mid-March, we left uh, earlier than anticipated, and, and we were out of session uh, but for a week, which I'll talk about in a second, uh, to go back home and, uh, like most everyone else, uh, shelter in place, and we were not uh, in the Capitol building during that time. Uh, we did come back for one week to pass a supplemental budget, as most of your listeners are probably aware. Uh, Missouri, along with the other 49 states, got a significant amount of funding from the federal government uh, to help us with the COVID-19 relief and response efforts. Uh, Missouri received uh, several billion dollars from the federal government. And so we were required in the midst of all that to come back and appropriate that money so that the governor could spend it on COVID-related response efforts. Uh, we then came back at the very end of session uh, for about the last three weeks. We only have one constitutional obligation for the General Assembly, and that is to pass a balanced budget uh, before the end of the legislative session. And so we came back, uh, we passed the budget. As you might imagine, the budget realities looked very different uh, going uh, back into session after COVID hit because the economy effectively shut down and so revenues were, were way down. And so we had to redraft the budget in a very short period of time. And then we, we spent the last two weeks of session, uh, what we refer to as perfecting, that is passing um, final language for substantive legislation that was going to go to the governor's desk. We had very few bills that actually passed this session. Um, you had one, though. I know you had I one. And I do want to say thank you again for the legislation that you passed. I know I've had the opportunity to tell you thank you a few times. I used it again last night, Tony. We were talking in the Clay County Charter about the assessor's position and uh, the credentials that would be needed and leaving that position appointed or um, leaving that position elected or whether it should be appointed. We ultimately decided to leave it elected for now just for less change for the citizens. But um, I pointed out that your legislation helps us be able to leave that position elected in my opinion. So thank you again. 
Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, so the, the bill you're referencing, uh, Senate Bill 676, uh, was one of two pieces of legislation that I, I passed this session. Um, and that one was really brought about and, and focused on responding to some of the dramatic increases in real estate assessments that we saw during the 2019 assessment cycle. I mean, we saw it hit dramatically over here uh, on the western side of the state in Kansas City and the surrounding area. Um, but we also saw a lot of abuses occurring over on the St. Louis side of the state. And the basic gist is this. You had people who, uh, whether they were homeowners, whether they were business owners and had commercial properties, I think those properties had not been reassessed for some period of time, even though the assessors are supposed to reassess them at regular intervals every two years. And so you had folks who received assessments in the mail and they were double or triple what their previous assessment had been. And of course, real estate values during that same time frame had not doubled or tripled. And so it was clear that we needed to put in place some protections for, for homeowners and the legislation as it ultimately passed was limited just to, uh, property for homeowners. It was not, it was just residential. It was not expanded to commercial property. Uh, but we basically put three, three provisions in there. The first was if the property assessment is going to increase by 15% or more, then the homeowner has a right to demand a physical inspection by the assessor. And that's really important because the assessors right now will use data that they have on a, on a computer system and they will decide what your value of your property is based on comparables in the area as opposed to actually coming out and assessing the property uh, by doing a physical inspection. So that's an additional protection for a taxpayer if they see a really dramatic assessment that's 15% or more. The second thing that happens if an assessment increases by 15% or more is that the burden of proving the accuracy of the assessment in a later appeal to the Board of Equalization, that burden of proof normally sits with the taxpayer as opposed to the assessor, and that shifts over to the assessor if the assessment's more than 15%. So in layman's terms, what that means is, is that if you appeal to the Board of Equalization, normally you as the homeowner have to disprove the accuracy of the assessor's assessment. But now, under the change in Senate Bill 676, if the assessment increases by 15% or more, now the assessor has to come and defend their position and prove that they were correct, as opposed to you, the homeowner, having to disprove their assessment. So it really kind of flips the table and puts the assessor in the hot seat as opposed to the property owner. And then finally, the last thing that we put in the bill uh, was a provision that ensures that people have adequate notice to file their assessment. So we had a situation in Platte County this year where I had several of my constituents reach out to me because on a Saturday, they received an assessment notice in the mail saying that their property taxes were going up and the deadline to appeal was actually the following Monday, right? So they had a day when they receive a notice on a Saturday, assuming they were actually home to get it out of their mailbox to turn around and to be able to file that appeal. Obviously nobody's gonna be able to file an appeal in a day. And so what we did is we put an amendment uh, into existing law that says in those counties that have the tighter appeal deadlines, everybody gets 30 days. So now property owners are gonna have a reasonable amount of time if they get an assessment uh, to make sure that they can file an appeal and they're not caught off guard like happened to many property owners in Platte County this last cycle. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, sounds, go, ahead. go ahead. It sounds like you've made the, this, the, the system way much more fair. And I think that's what, I think everybody is okay with increases and things like that. I mean, not everyone, but as long as there's a fair process attached to it. And I think the physical inspection is, is a real big piece. You know, we, we see, at least in the Kansas City area, we have so many flippers. 
going around and buying homes in older neighborhoods. And you know, they'll when they pick up two or three properties and, and they take and and double the values of these, then you know, here's the little here's the um, you know elderly couple that's lived in their home for 50 years that it's basically essentially the same. It doesn't have granite countertops. It doesn't have all the the new luxury flooring and those kinds of things. And to try to compare their house to one these flippers that are going through and changing these neighborhoods, it's it's not a fair process. And that that inspection uh, portion or the inspection piece that you spoke about makes that process more fair in those situations. Yeah, absolutely. And you and you raise another good point too, which is something that we worked into the legislation, which is the 15% is only triggered absent improvements to the property. So, you know, in a scenario where somebody builds a house on a vacant lot, obviously the, the, the value of that property because it has a structure on it is going to increase by more than 15%. Uh, if somebody, you know, adds a, a, an addition onto a house that significantly increases the value of the house or finishes a basement or something like that, uh, we exempted those out. What we're really talking about is sort of passive increases, which in, in Jackson County and, and Clay and Platt County, when we saw some of these dramatic increases, these were not increases that were owing to the fact that somebody rehabbed a house. It was just, the prices were increasing. And as you pointed out, there's a lot of factors that went into that. But the bottom line was these assessors were not actually looking at the property to see if that individual property had gone up in value. They were just pulling comparables in the area and then just drawing a bunch of assumptions that in many cases proved to be inaccurate. So important for real estate, Tony. And I mean, I remember when Derek and I started talking to you when we were at the Royal Stadium, um, I think it was year before last, maybe even when some of these assessments came out and we started approaching these ideas, what can we do to help, you know, the, the homeowners, what can we do to help the taxpayers, you know? And so we brainstormed with you on this and I really, really appreciate your leadership. Like I said at the beginning, you always rise to the top of the occasion, whether it was in college at the legislature, or I'm sure even in your own private practice, uh, tell us where your office is. I know, I know it's kind of close to me, but I don't know exactly where it's at. Yeah, so the, the office where I normally work when I practice law and I'm not, uh, not in the state legislature is actually downtown in the crossroads, or actually, I guess, more, more in the uh, kind of area of downtown that's, that's closer to the river. Um, but that's, that's where we are. Um, we're right next to the downtown Marriott Hotel in downtown Kansas City is where our offices are located. And so uh, when I'm not in the legislature, I'm practicing law and and uh using that to to pay the mortgage and pay the bills <laughs> anything any specialty that's your favorite on that you know when i um when when i first started practicing law so i spent i spent my first two years after law school i clerked for a judge on the missouri supreme court which was a, just a great experience because when you're a law clerk you get exposure to a lot of different areas of law uh, because we have you know criminal cases that come to the supreme court you have the whole wide gamut of different types of civil cases that come before the court. And so that was, that was really great. Um, and then I started my practice actually at a law firm called Shook Hardy and Bacon, which is a, a large defense firm that defends businesses and individuals and in, in tort and personal injury lawsuits. And so um, I kind of came at it from the defense perspective, you know, did a lot of insurance work, um, did a lot of work on products liability, which I always found products liability cases very interesting because these are cases where products allegedly fail uh, and then there's a lawsuit because you get to get a lot of technical expertise on particular products and how they're manufactured and how they're designed, which is always kind of fun because you get to be around like big tractors and like big machines and equipment and learn how they work. And I've always found that to be particularly cool because it's not necessarily 
something that's related to the law, but you kind of have to put on like an engineer's hat or a doctor's hat and start thinking about things uh, that, that these different experts are, are working on in the context of those lawsuits. And so that's always been kind of a fun thing for me. You learn, you learn about a bunch of really weird things that make for interesting conversation at a cocktail party, uh, but not- What's the weirdest one? I have yeah. to know, what's the weirdest one that you can talk about? I assume you can talk about it now that the lawsuit has passed. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, we, we had, uh, you know, cases involving, uh, you know, school buses, for example, like, you know, why do school buses not have seatbelts in them? Uh, and the reason is, is that there are federal motor vehicle safety standards that require seatbelts to not be in buses because kids are obviously different shapes and sizes and different ages whenever they get on a school bus. And so the, the seats are actually designed in a way very specifically to kind of function as many airbags if there were to be an accident in a school bus. And so, you know, I remember pouring over congressional testimony uh, when Congress was debating in the 1980s whether or not seatbelts should be included on school buses and subsequent congressional testimony about whether we should change the federal motor vehicle safety standard. And so those are those are the types of things that like you, you kind of always wonder those things in the back of your head, like why do we not have seatbelts on school buses? Uh, and there are reasons for that. And there are, there are legitimate policy reasons that the federal government has decided that we're not going to put seatbelts on school buses. And so that's just an example of something you learn about that you wouldn't ordinarily spend the time to learn about but for the fact that you're, you're dealing with a lawsuit that, that asks those questions. It's kind of like real estate. Every, every day is different. Every house sale is different. And sometimes you, you can't believe you're talking about some of the things that come up when you're, when you're dealing with them. But one of the things I wanted to, to bring up is what's going on in St. In St. Joe uh, with the flooding up there. That's part of that. Is that, that's part of your district, correct? It is. Yeah, it is part of my district. Can you, can you kind of let us know what's going on up there and, and what type of relief efforts and, any type of assistance that uh, the, the residents of St. Joe are getting uh, during this during this time? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's very unfortunate. Uh, my district has been really hard hit with flooding. Last year, it was the Missouri River flooding, uh, which impacted not only Buchanan County, where St. Joseph is located, but also Platte County, which is the other portion of my district. Uh, what's happened in in St. Joe is there is a river that actually does not flood very often. So they are in the south side of St. Joseph, they're sit in what's known as a 500 year floodplain, meaning that the Army Corps of Engineers has determined that that area will flood once every 500 years. So not very often, it's a pretty safe place to be. The problem is, is that these folks who live on the south side of St. Joe, they, they've experienced one of these 500 year floods uh, of this creek. And there's a lot of different factors that we think went into it happening. Um, the immediate aftermath, we had the local uh, Red Cross came in and was providing relief efforts uh, to families that were impacted. Uh, there were about 120 homes that were pretty severely damaged. One home was completely destroyed by the flooding. And um, shortly after that, you had local elected officials, the mayor, uh, city council members, who were seeking relief from both the state and the federal government through FEMA, which is the, the federal emergency management, and then SEMA, which is the state equivalent of FEMA. And we found out that because the flood was extremely localized, it was not big enough to qualify for SEMA or FEMA funding. And so I wrote a letter to the governor's office uh, shortly after the, the city received that rather disappointing news and just said, is there anything that, that, that the state can do to help with this because people are suffering right now. And uh, I had a meeting with the governor whenever I was back uh, in session for the special last week. And they've got several things that, that the state, even though they cannot provide 
uh, SEMA qualified funding. There are several things they can do. Um, you know, we have people in the Department of Corrections that are up there that can help with cleanup efforts and helping people get their houses back into order. And so some of that's gonna be happening. Um, we fortunately have the National Guard, uh, the 139th Airlift Wing, which is up in St. Joe. And I think there are gonna be some relief efforts that they're gonna be able to bring to bear uh, since it's, it's based locally. Uh, so, you know, it, it, people's lives have just been uprooted. We're trying to do everything that we can at the state level to help people get on track. Um, but that's, that's, that's the situation as it stands right now. What's the status of the flooding going on right now? Is it, is, are things starting to, are you still experiencing uh, flooding or is things starting to subside? Is it basically cleanup now? Yeah, it's mostly cleanup at this point. I mean, what I will tell you is, is that we, we think one of the causes of some of the flooding um, is related to uh, inadequate drainage systems. And so we think some of the drainage systems got backed up and that was the reason that the flood happened. Um, so there's just, there's gonna need to be some remediation that happens on a go forward basis to make sure this doesn't repeat itself. Um, but the, the waters were very slow to recede because uh, of, of what, what are believed to be some issues with the drainage system uh, in and around uh, this particular creek. So. Uh, that, that, like I said, is an ongoing effort. Um, I'm hopeful that we have a relatively dry end to the summer um, because uh, certainly we do not want to see round two happen again in St. Joe. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been rough everywhere. Even down, uh, we have a place down at, at Table Rock and that lake was up tremendously as well. I mean, there was so much flooding and, you know, probably part of that drainage, I'm just imagining that when things flood, you know, other things come down into the water and they clog up other areas. So big tree stumps, you know, all kinds of different stuff just starts clogging up. And when you have major flooding like we've had, it just becomes a real problem, um, you know, for, for unfortunately homeowners in this case, which is the, what one of the most severe cases of flooding when somebody loses their entire home. Right. And, and the other point, too, and, and I, I, I believe this is the case for many of the people on the south side who were impacted because it's a 500 year floodplain, because it's such a rare occurrence. I mean, you're talking about many lifetimes before those properties will flood. Many individuals in the impacted areas didn't qualify for flood insurance because there was right. theoretically a very, very low risk of a flood ever happening. And so many of these people who have been impacted on the south side, they don't have insurance uh, through their homeowner's insurance that's going to cover this. And so uh, that makes it even more devastating because you're trying to rebuild your life. Uh, and you don't have that that protection of having a homeowner's policy that has a, a, a flooding rider attached to it uh, so that you can get yourself back on your feet. Wow. That, that, and that, that is a big piece. And pe people don't think about that uh, because it's not required. Of, and uh, so when it does happen, it is particularly devastating. But I kind of want to change the subject a little bit, a little bit lighter. Uh, of course, you know, I, I found out yesterday we were going to be talking to you. So, of course, I had to uh, stalk your your Facebook page, but I got to ask you about Seersucker Wednesdays or the <laughs> Seersucker Caucus. Uh, everybody that knows me knows that I love my Seersucker suit, love any opportunity I have to break out Seersucker. Uh, got to ask you about that because you look super, super sharp. There's a great picture of you, you and Truman uh, sitting on one of, the, I think, the couch in your office or something like that. Uh, tell me a little bit about the Seersucker Caucus and because uh, I'm totally into it. Yeah, so um, I actually never owned a seersucker suit until I got elected to the legislature, and then I, I felt compelled to buy one. So the the story is we have this thing called the seersucker caucus, yeah. and it's basically anybody, regardless of party, wants to participate in it. They're welcome to do it. And I'm not exactly sure of the genesis of when this began, but the basic the basic gist is is that once we get past 
uh, Easter. Every Wednesday after Easter, everyone is invited to wear a seersucker suit. And there are a lot of participants. I will tell you that when you go into the Senate chamber on those Wednesdays after Easter has happened, uh, uh, probably about half of the senators are wearing seersucker. The lieutenant governor, Mike Kehoe, uh, he's sporting his seersucker up at the dais. And so it's just this really fun, great thing. Um, every year, they uh, nominate two people to be the quote unquote chairman of the seersucker caucus. And so the two current chairman of the seersucker caucus uh, is Wayne Wallingford, uh, who's one of my colleagues who's actually termed out, uh, as well as David Sater, who also is termed out. And so I was very honored, along with my good friend Brian Williams uh, from St. Louis, uh, we were nominated to be the new co-chairs going in. So we're the ones that are they're charged now with keeping that tradition alive in the Senate. And so um, it's just great fun. As you mentioned, Truman uh, was was part of the fun, too. I got him a, a seersucker bow tie collar ah. that he wears uh, whenever it's seersucker Wednesdays. And so uh, it's just it's a lot of fun. Man after my heart. I'm telling you, I love it. Uh, and you you are going to see me uh, at the at the state capitol uh, on those on the seersucker Wednesday because I, I've got to come up. <laughs> I've got to see it. I'm going to wear mine. I'm going to look for you. I'm going to look for Truman and uh, we're going to get some pictures taken for sure. Tony, we really appreciate you being with us today and and, and certainly the, the great work that you do. Uh, in, in Missouri for uh, all of us, not just the realtors, uh, but it's been a great pleasure to talk to you today. Like I said, we've never met. I also want to thank you for meeting with our Missouri advocacy group. Uh, they, they said they had a great meeting with you, and so we appreciate you sharing what you're doing uh, for all Missourians, and again, thank you for being here today with us. Jennifer? Yeah. Thank you, Tony. Really appreciate you. Can't tell you enough, uh, and hopefully I'll see you on the golf course at, a, at another fundraiser soon. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. All right. Thanks, Tony. All right. All right. Thank you.